Welcome to our Silver Lining Podcast. Of course, uh, I'm Grunkle Rex. This is this is Adam. We have a, a very long anticipated and welcome guest with us today, Joseph Grinney. I'll introduce him and um, well, right now, we'll get right into it. Why not? And by the way, we're together. Rex is in Arizona tomorrow, and we'll be doing a uh, a live, but this will be later. But yeah, so yeah. that's why we're together. So we won't talk about the timing. No. It'll mess us and everybody else up. Yeah. Yeah. So together uh, and not in the studio because we are in Utah. We're, we're in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. Yeah. But we've, we've had on the podcast our guests from the other side academy and the other side village they actually work at the village but they've been been through the academy and the response was so tremendous we are very excited to have joseph grinney with us who is one of the founders of the other side academy and the other side village and and he's going to give us some insight into how it all started the concept behind it why it is as successful as it is maybe some of the challenges and I could give you a long introduction about Joseph. I'll, I'll try to resist doing that, but uh, love his credentials. If you Google him, you'll say, good grief, they didn't even mention the fact that he's, well, now I'm going to mention it, the New York Times bestselling author of three books, and he's written more than three books, I think. Was The Art of Leadership, Joseph, your first? first? Uh, the Balancing Act was the first, and it was... Yeah, after that was crucial conversations. Very good. But we're all we're all authors here. We both have Rex and I both have two books. Uh, yeah, we are <laughs> not even close. We are the same. No, out of the same hemisphere. Yeah, so it's, it's a pleasure to have you on, and hopefully we could learn uh, some things from you and about you know the other side uh, why we have you on. So tell us a little bit about. Uh, I've got oh, yeah, one story. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm sorry, a quick story about Joseph, tell you the kind of good guy he is. I've known Joseph personally for a long time, knew his wife um, even longer. We met her uh, when I was in the Air Force, and uh, we're back at, and knew his wife's sister. Anyway, long story that we won't tell this time. Um, but I want to tell the story when we knew each other, we were in Fort Worth, Texas. Joseph was there. I was there. Um, professionally, Joseph was there for six months doing professional work. Our families got together. We had a family connection. Children the same ages. They're just wonderful people. And it came to the 4th of July, and Joseph said, you know, my son is really excited because we can do fire fireworks here like they can't do where we live. And Joseph went out and spent an obscene amount of money on professional fireworks, like the kind that go hundreds of feet in the air, then umbrella out. Oh, make that sell. Yeah. And um, the trouble was, there is a ban that year because it had been so dry in Texas in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And so he had spent all this money, and we, our two sons, they were excited, but they weren't as excited as Joseph was to, to be doing the fireworks. Okay. But a man, a man where Joseph was working said, "Hey, you can come out on my private land. We can launch. We can do what we want on my private land." So we went out there Fourth of July. His private land, nice, but it you couldn't do fireworks there. It was all trees and dried leaves on the ground. So those would those would burn up first. And the man said, "Yeah, you're right. We can't do them here." 
I've got an idea. We'll go to this little town south of Fort Worth. I think it was Joshua, Texas, Joseph. Sounds right. And uh, he said, we can do it there. Little sleepy town. No one's going to care. They might like it. We go down there and make a long story short. We're on a baseball field. We thought, well, it's safe. It's watered. It's not dry. But first, first um, bond that Joseph set off goes up, boom, and the, and the, it was spectacular because it lights up the nice sky, but the ashes are going over in these dry fields. We're running around trying to make sure there aren't any fires, and, and uh, we light off a couple of those, and we say, we, uh, this may not be a good idea, and we're trying to figure out whether we should do this anymore, and Joseph's out by the parking lot. Here comes the sheriff's car, just screeching in, to the parking lot, and and Joseph's the only one out there, so he confronted. Now the penalty, I think the fine was fifteen hundred dollars per person out there, and we had said going into Joseph, if we get caught, you know, you're you're paying for all of us. You're the rich one here, and uh, so Joseph's out talking with the sheriff. I'm over by the baseball diamond with his son Seth, ten years old. And Seth is determined to light his own fire firework off. He's got his plan going, but it's not working. And I'm trying to yell at Seth, but not too loud, so the sheriff hears, Seth, no, don't do it. Cut it off. And just as I say, one more, one more, and boom, it lights. And so what's going on going on at the car, I've got to tell this story because I think it's it's such a good story about Joseph. What's going on at the car is the sheriff drives up there, screeches to a stop, and says, Joseph, of course, being cool and kind, being a gentleman, well, good evening, how are you, sir? He said, the sheriff says, are you lighting off fireworks? And the way Joseph told it at the time, he said, I had one of those moments in life, a moment of decision. Do I tell the truth? Do I lie? Do I tell the truth? Do I lie? And he took a deep breath and said, yes. And at the same time that Joseph said yes, that firework that Seth had set off, boom, it exploded and the sheriff's windshield lit up with a light. Try to imagine the situation had Joseph taken that deep breath and said, no, we are laughing about fireworks. You would have still had the boom and the uh, windshield. That's the type of person Joseph is. So I wanted to vouch for his character. Joseph, any rebuttal on that story? Well, the, the story proves I'm willing to tell the truth when there's absolutely no way I could lie anyway. So, <laughs> I'll take that. You could have lied. It just would have been a short-lived lie. A real short one, yeah. A very expensive one. So yeah. we got off without without the fine because of Joseph's truth-telling, I'm convinced. Well, let's talk, let's talk about the other side. Uh, Rex and I have, have been there. That we're going to play that that um, podcast coming up, but give us uh, the background of why you started it and how you started it. So the the Other Side Academy for those that didn't hear the first episode is a two and a half year free, nobody pays life skills program for people with long histories of crime, addiction, and homelessness. So right now between our Salt Lake City and our Denver campuses, we have about two hundred and forty people living on campus for anywhere from two to four years, and they pay nothing to be there. The government pays nothing for them to be there. Insurance company doesn't reimburse anything, and it's an opportunity for them to just live in a community and learn to live in a healthy community. 
to practice doing life differently than they've done for most of their lives. So collectively, the students that we have, uh, about 60% of them were on their way to additional incarceration when they came. If all of them were incarcerated as they should have been, they'd be in prison or jail for about 2,000 years. So uh, that was plan A. Plan B was to come to the Other Side Academy and learn a new way of living. And, and so that's what, uh, what the place is. Now, since we take no money from anybody else, we have to support ourselves. And the way we support ourselves is by running businesses. And this is one of the marvels of the Other Side Academy. We run the number one rated moving company in the entire state. So imagine that. We've got a moving company run by felons that goes into people's houses and moves their valuables. I mean, you wouldn't think that they'd be opening their doors very wide. But if you look on Google reviews or Thumbtack or HomeAdvisor, any of the review sites, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews. So you've got to ask yourself, how do you get a bunch of felons together and have them create this organization that, that takes such great, impeccable care of customers, that has such tremendous reputation and enormous trust in the community? So that's the Other Side Academy, and there's a lot we can talk about there. The, the, you ask how it started. There were kind of three paths uh, to the beginning. <clears throat> the first was back in 2005, I co-authored a book called Crucial Influence. And one of the case studies in there is we looked across the world at dramatic examples of people that were making profound behavior changes that improved people's lives or improved the world. One of the case studies was a place called Delancey Street in San Francisco. I've spent my career the last 35 years studying organizations. And I've been, I've worked with Nobel laureates, some of the titans of industry, smartest people in the world who couldn't cooperate their way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, people that just are petty and full of conflict and dishonest with each other and conniving and political. And, and now here I'm going to this place called Delancey Street that's run by three or 400 felons. And it's one of the cleanest, most moral, decent, trustworthy places in the entire Bay Area. And it blew my mind. So again, for somebody that studies organizations, I think, how do you do this? How do you create these kinds of outcomes and transform lives, thousands and thousands of them over the last 50 years, and do so consistently with pretty broken people? So that stayed with me. That was track one. Track two was that a couple of our boys started to get into trouble. So they got into drugs and started into jail. One was on his way to a fairly lengthy prison sentence. And and we got a firsthand view of what happens when somebody gets caught into the criminal justice system in the United States. You, you often don't get out. And the odds of being reincarcerated after the first time are about 70 to 80%. And so it's a perfect system for creating criminals. Now, I'm not saying that public safety doesn't matter, and we all have a right to live in a safe community. So don't take that from this at all. But here we've got a system that a first-time offender becomes a second, third, fourth, and fifth-time offender over and over again. And so that started working on us. <clears throat> but the third, if it's okay for me to talk personally, you asked a personal question, so that's what you're going to get. Um, my son had a cellmate one day that, uh, that arrived and was facing about 15 years of prison time himself. He'd been in prison four times previously. While he was there, he had kind of a crisis in his life. He had wanted the police to kill him rather than get arrested this time because he had a car full of guns and forged documents and drug paraphernalia and drugs. And he knew he was going away from a, for a very long time. Well, in this crisis, he turned to God and he prayed. And he discovered that 
that he did have a God and that he did have somebody that cared about him and that he did have potential in his life. And he became a self-improvement junkie. And so here he is cellmates with my son. He starts reading books I wrote. And one of the books has a case study about a place called Delancey Street. So I have this bizarre conversation with my son one day where he says, hey, dad, uh, so Zach is wondering if when he finishes his 15-year prison sentence, if you'd help him go to Delancey Street. Because he knows if he just goes back out, he's going to repeat the same mistakes. I thought it was a stupid question. Who asks 15 years in advance for a favor? Right. And so I just kind of glibly said, yeah, sure, have him give me a call. I don't think I'm busy that day. And uh, I hung up the phone. And uh, some of you may have had different life experiences, but I'm going to tell you mine. When I hung that phone up, I had this overwhelming feeling that God was displeased with my answer. That, uh, that this being that I worship and who's so important to me in my life was disappointed in me. And so I picked the phone up. Now, here's where it gets kind of weird because there are so many things that many would call coincidences that I don't think are. The first was that he lands in a jail cell with, uh, with my son who happens to have a dad who knows Delancey Street and write a book that happens to be on the shelves of the jail. The second was that I happened to have a brother-in-law who was the county attorney, the district attorney. So I called him and I said, would you ever consider sending somebody in our jurisdiction here to Delancey Street? I told him a little bit about it. And he says, absolutely. And I said, well, you got this guy named Zach. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, that'll never work. He said, if it's a live case, it's going to move too slowly through the system or, and you'd have to get judges and prosecutors and adult probation and parole and everybody on board. That's going to take months, if not years. So I hung up the phone and I thought I did my job and that feeling came back and it was even more insistent. So I picked the phone up again and I said, uh, Jeff, can we just try one guy? Jeff said, I'll give it a shot. He called me back a week later and he said, I can't believe it. He said, everybody has agreed and I'll just give you one glimpse of the dozens and dozens of incredible miracles that moved in this direction. He said he walked into the prosecutor's office who'd been assigned the case, a woman named Christine Scott. Christine was, uh, was licking her lips when she saw this stack of felonies for Zach because she had been an, a police officer years before the first time he'd been arrested. She said she always remembered Zach because he was so violent and out of control that she thought she'd have to draw her gun and kill him. So when she later became a prosecutor, the first time a Zach Fawcett case came in, she raised her hand and said, please give me that dirt bag. I'm going to lock him up for as long as I can. And case after case, as the years progressed, she was excited to prosecute him because she thought that was the best thing she could do for the state of Utah is to take him off the street. And now she's got this stack of felonies and she just says, hip, hip, hooray, in walks Jeff and says, would you let him go to this two-year program instead of 15 years in prison? She said her immediate response was over my dead body. And Jeff read, it, read her body language and said, hey, it's your case. You got to do what you got to do. And he turned and walked out the door. She said, as the door swung shut, she had this overwhelming feeling that that was the wrong answer. She got into her car. She drove to the jail. She visited with him and she became his biggest support over the subsequent months as we fought to try to get him to Delancey Street. So that was the first inclination that something needed to be done and and the bottom line answer to the third reason that we started the other side academy is that god told us to if i if any of you ever visit the academy or check it out online i'm not this smart and i don't think anybody's as smart as it would take to do something like this 
The, the, the organization has grown. It's one of the most respected organizations in Utah. Hundreds of people have come through and transformed their lives. I don't know how to do that, but I know somebody who does, and that's who wanted this done. Wow. What a story. Oh, yeah. You got me. Wait, when Rex and I were there visiting, uh, and you talked about, you know, giving everybody a second chance of life. And we, my big question to a lot of people who are there at the, at the academy or the other side, I, I said, so what was your rock bottom? Because and we talked about this in one of our podcasts, you have to hit rock bottom at some point in your life to be able to say, okay, no more. I got to go this way or my life's over. You know, a lot of people contemplate suicide when they hit rock bottom and all those things. So, um, it, you know, some of the some of the neighbors and some of the people that we talked to when we we're at the other side uh, t- talk about their rock bottom story, which most people in life, even if you aren't homeless or on drugs or, or whatever, you have a rock bottom moment in your life where you have to, you know, change how you are. And changing is one of the hardest things that humans have to do when you're used to doing something. And so it really, some of the character building that has been going on there and the the confidence that some of these homeless people and drug addicts that have come through there, it's amazing to see the difference in their lives and how much hope that they have uh, while they're there. So I think you're the where what's ever going on in, in your place, the hope is like what I walked away with like, Everybody here has hope, and that's that's my biggest thing is hope. And that's yeah. what they, they said when we interviewed them. What's the, the biggest benefit of coming in this program? They said, well, this is the first time I've had hope. Mm. After 30 years, 15 years, 20 years of whatever they were doing, it was the first time they had hope that this was going to work and they were going to be different from it. Yeah, and you know, to, to respond to Adam's comment about rock bottom too, if you, if you ask in more detail, our students will probably confess to you they've had about 20 rock bottoms and they get lower and lower and lower. And the problem that we've got in society today is at those rock bottom moments, what we don't have is options available for people so that that motivation can lead to real change. They were motivated other times for the most part. But then what happens is we send them to a 30-day program or a 60-day program for crying out loud. If you've been shooting heroin for 20 years, that's your life. And you develop a lifestyle around it. You become a thief and a liar and a manipulator, and it affects how you show up in relationships. And your whole life is built around that. And so to send somebody to a 30-day program and have them fill out workbooks or talk to a therapist for a little while, not that the therapist isn't trying to help, but it's ludicrous to think that that would help you fundamentally transform a life that long. And the, the, the sickness in our rehab system today is it's built based on a funding model rather than a therapy model. It's not built based on what does it really take to somebody who's a 25-year drug addict to change. It's built based on how much can mom and dad afford or how much will, re- will insurance reimburse. And that's perverse. And so the beauty at the Other Side Academy is when somebody comes and sits on our bench, they're not asked any questions about finances. We couldn't care less. And because they're going to support themselves, they're going to be part of our community that feeds itself and clothes itself and houses itself. And so the only thing we have to ask them is, are you really serious about change? Um, that's how it ought to be. Well, Joseph, I have to ask the question that's on a lot of people's minds. It sounds like it's important to you that the insurance companies are paying, the government's not paying. 
that it's self-funding. Why is that so important to your to your vision and to the program here? Well, if you think about it, a, a long history of addiction, the the kind of um, moral damage that it does, the the primary moral damage is you start to become somebody who is incredibly selfish. It's all about you, and so. It's, it's ironic then that we say, all right, the way we're going to fix that problem that you have a life that's built just around your immediate gratification is we're going to have somebody else pay for you. It makes no sense at all. So, so it's critical if you're really working on changing that you start by taking responsibility that this is your problem. It's not the insurance company's problem. It's not mom and dad's problem or anything like that. Now, it may be that trauma and injustice, and it usually is the case, was, start, was part of how it got started. But by the time you turn 20 and 25 and 30 and 35, you're part of the problem too. And the only way to get out is to begin by taking responsibility. So that to us is critical that none of those other players are involved. The other thing that to me is, is uh, sacred, when somebody sits on our bench, so we have a bench at the front door, Anyone can walk in 24 hours a day, seven days a week and sit down. And that means they're ready to change. And then some of our older students in the house will interview them because this is a peer program. And they'll evaluate whether it seems like you're serious or not. And so when they come in and they're sitting in that interview chair, the sacred thing that we have to maintain is that the only thing that's on the minds of the interviewers is, will you work to change your life? Not, do we have a bed to fill? Not do we, uh, do you have good insurance? Not do mo our mom and dad good for the money in the deposit or that we're short on revenues this month? We don't want any of those corrupting factors to be part of this conversation. And that's the beauty of how it works at the Other Side Academy. One thing that I love that you implement is having them work. The word work, sometimes we think about oh man, I got to get up and go to work. And when I retire, I don't have to work anymore. Then you see a bunch of people who retire and they don't have work. They don't have purpose. They get depressed. I think working is happiness. And I know some people you know, disagree, or but in my experience, when you work or you have something to work forward to and um, working um, really can provide a lot of uh, self-confidence, happiness, so for you to have people actually go work and, and, you know, I think that's going to bring them happiness. Like you said, instead of somebody just, oh, well, they're going to pay for this. So I'm just going to continue this way. But I don't know. What do you, what are your feelings on, on the, on work? Yeah, I, I agree with your instincts on that. So work is not just the funding model for the other side Academy. It's the therapeutic model. And that's what it is first and foremost. So we believe that, again, if you're trying to help somebody learn to live in a healthy community for the first time sometimes in their life, the best way to do that is to let them practice living in a healthy community. And that's what's a healthy community? What's a healthy family? Well, it has to feed itself and pay rent and it has to keep the lights on and figure out how to get along and solve problems. And that's what we do. And the way we do that is by living a normal life. We have to go out and we do 300 moves a month. So crews have to go out and figure out how to organize and pack and, and cooperate and so forth. We've got two thrift boutiques. we got to get those to run. We have to figure out how to position the, the, the products and how to price them and how to work with customers and deal with shoplifters and all the stuff that everybody else has to do. We've got to get- Yeah, I'm sure they're experts at spotting shoplifters <laughs> too. I wouldn't want to try so, I, saw, yeah. I saw you put that in your pocket. Let me see your pocket, right? Because that's Absolutely. the I used to make back in the day. <laughs> 
Yeah. But here's the key. They have to learn how to deal with that in a different way than they did before. In the past, they just come to blows. But now they've got to learn to actually confront a problem and solve it in a healthy way. So it's a beautiful thing. And so while you're out there on the moving company or in the thrift boutiques or the storage company or the construction company, your, your personality shows. We find out who's lazy, who's got a bad attitude, who's lustful, who's selfish. You know, who's, we start figuring out all of these kind of character weaknesses. And so that's the context in which you reveal yourself. And then what happens is twice a week, our students get together. So tonight at 730, if you came by the other side academy, there'd be six different groups of 20 people. And what are they going to be doing? What they're going to be doing is telling each other the truth. They're going to be sharing with one another. So if one of the younger students was out on a move today for an attractive younger customer and he kept sneaking glances at her and checking her legs out or something like that, there are going to be 15 other people in that group. They're going to let him have it about him putting our reputation at risk, about what a sleazy, creepy thing that is for him to do. He's going to hear it. And the, the most potent force for helping human beings change is social feedback. You and I are so hyper-conscious of how others feel about us that that is the most pivotal, powerful way to help people see themselves more honestly and then start to be motivated to change. If people have lost their conscience, the best way to reawaken a conscience is to live in a place where people are relentlessly honest with you about how you affect them. And if people do that, one of two things happens. Either you change or you leave. And by and large, at the Other Side Academy, they stay and they change. And they start to realize that, yes, I am lazy. Yes, I am dishonest. Yes, that is appropriate and inappropriate for me to be checking out that woman rather than paying attention to my work. And so little by little, they start to develop character. So those are the two things we do. Work is a big part of it. That's part of it. But one of the primary reasons for work is just so that you get to see how you deal with stress and discomfort and temptation and all these other factors. So Joseph, let me ask about pro professionals that are there. Are there professionals that work there? I'm talking professional counselors. And if so, what's their role? Because so much of this is the peer dynamic and the working, so you're working on yourself. Are there professionals, counselors involved? No. So the, the model is called the therapeutic community. And the idea in a therapeutic community is that the community is the therapist. We believe that for our population, that peers are superior in helping people spot the challenges they've got, in helping to create an involuntary sense of hope. And, and pay attention to that phrase, involuntary hope. So people come in often just to beat a prison sentence, but then they see somebody that they shared a jail cell with and they, and they recognize there's light in their eyes now. There's a spring in their step. They have purpose. They, they have self-respect. and. And so they start to recognize that something is possible for them that they never imagined before. And without even wanting to, they start to hope. They start to recognize there's another possible path. And that can't happen in a traditional therapeutic relationship. If you've got somebody who graduated from a big shot university that's got credentials and all that, and not to say there isn't a role for that. Many of our students have benefited from therapy in the past. But the real character change the profound implementation of new habits in life that generally comes when a community coaches and mentors and holds you accountable. And that's what happens at the academy. So it's run exclusively by people who sat on the bench at one point and now years later are leading the, leading the community. Well, one of the words we heard quite often at the other side village when we visited 
was the word you just used, accountability. And everyone just sings that same tune because it's such a dynamic force in their life. Other than these group meetings of, that you mentioned, how else is that interspersed in the process? Yeah, it's one of the stunning things that you see there. You, you and I, Rex, we work with organizations, and most organizations, if you ask them if there's one thing that we could change here, what would it be? It would be people holding each other accountable, people actually confronting problems with each other and being honest when they have concerns. No organization in the world does it particularly well. You know, some do it better than others, but most of them stink. At the Other Side Academy, the lag time between a problem happening and a problem getting confronted is as close to zero as any place I've ever worked. And that's because on day one, you're told that there are three things expected of you. Pull people up, pass information, and participate in the group. So the group we've already talked about, these feedback groups, but that first, pulling people up. When people arrive, they're told you have to, you have to practice 200% accountability. That means that you are 100% accountable for you being beyond reproach. But secondly, you're 100% responsible for everybody else you see. So if you see anything happen and you say nothing about it, you're basically killing your brother. You're killing your sister. Because if they get dirty and in trouble and they end up splitting because they don't want consequences that they're going to have coming to them, then you are part of that problem. And so you're expected to love them enough to confront the problem immediately when you see it. People are shocked when I tell them, we've got a house full of heroin, meth, crack, you name the alcoholics, and we haven't had a single dirty drug test in eight and a half years. Eight and a half years since we started. I defy you to find any other organization of a similar size in the world where you could make that same claim. And the reason that's the case is because they hold each other accountable. We were asked when we started by judges, well, don't you have guards? Don't you, don't you strip search people when they come in and things like that? And we explained to them, we don't need them because what we've got is 199 peers. So if you're a person number 200, you got 199 set of eyes on you. And all we have to do is rely on 150 or so of them to be in a good place at any point in time. And that house stays clean. We, we, uh, we have people come in all the time that envy that kind of environment. That's why our moving company is top rated. That's why the thrift boutiques and the construction company run so well, because problems get confronted quickly because people love each other. Some of these guys that are coming from jail, um, back in jail, they have to go opposite of what they learn. Snitches get stitches. But in your place, you got to snitch otherwise. You know, so they have to relearn and reprogram themselves once they come in. And again, changing is such a hard thing to do for people in general, let alone being addicted or had, you know, all these other issues that some of them have. So congratulations on all your success. It sounds amazing. Rex and I, when we were there, we were super impressed. Even some of the guys uh, were, were starting to grow different herbs that they'll be selling and stuff like that in the back room. So um, I don't know. I thought I thought it was really good and, and I'm super impressed with you know, Utah has this. I mean, I don't know how many other states or, or cities have it. I know Salt Lake is there, but is there any any in the future to to put your model into other places that could use it? Yeah, our mission is to get a bench in every city in the world that wants one. And so there's one in Salt Lake, there's one in Denver, uh, there's one in Pennsylvania, there's one in Iowa, there's another one in uh, in northern Utah that we helped start. 
Uh, there's a group from Atlanta or from Alabama that we're just out that are committed to doing that. So we're happy to mentor and support anybody that's willing to try to create this kind of model because there are tens and thousands of lives that are lost every year that shouldn't be lost for lack of this kind of an opportunity. Well, Joseph, here's here's the uh, very positive problem you've created for us here in this podcast. Our optimists that are listening, we call them optimists for reasons I'll explain to you anytime you'd like. Um, but they are very turned on right now by what you've been saying, and they want to know more because they have a brother, a, a son, a daughter. They have someone that needs this or needs the principles behind this. Where would you recommend they go? I know you've authored you've authored books, some of them with these specifics in them. Would you recommend they go there or where else can they go for more of this type of information to help the people they love? Yeah, far be it for me to say, don't buy my books, go ahead and buy it. But no, if, if they've got somebody that needs help, go to theothersideacademy.com and all the information will be there. So if somebody is considering committing to, to some sort of help, the, these conversations, this is why I'm enthusiastic about this conversation with the two of you because somebody hears something and says something to someone and then somebody from Oregon or Delaware or somewhere else ends up on our bench and a life gets saved. And so uh, theothersideacademy.com is the best place to go for information. Well, Joseph, I hope you'll consider coming back on as we start fielding a lot of questions about, um, about this. You'll see a lot of the questions in the comments that you see there are our podcast, Silver Lining Podcasts. Um, on YouTube or wherever wherever you watch podcasts, but I hope you'll consider um, more interaction with us. I'm sure our op- optimists will be interested in that, and uh, we'll be we'll be covering what we'll be as Adam said, showing the, our interviews from there, and I think it's going to generate a lot of interest. Well, I'm happy to be part of saving a life anytime I can. We can't thank you enough for being for being on here. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, congratulations. Comments. Just congratulations on your, your success and, you know, and starting something so, you know, great for helping other people. We're all in it to help other people. And and so I'm glad that we, we cross paths and, and we'll hopefully again, we'll cross paths again. Well, I'll leave you with one little vignette. Uh, you, you say congratulations. The best congratulations for me are just uh, miracle moments. Uh, just a, a few months back, I had the opportunity to be the justice of the peace at a wedding. And it was a wedding of a woman that came as a 20-year heroin addict, sat on her bench so broken and beaten that she couldn't even make eye contact with you. She was marrying another graduate that should have been in prison. And I got to conduct that wedding. And guess who the bridesmaids were? Seven beautiful women who should have been in prison, but instead were graduates of the Other Side Academy. Five groomsmen, exactly the same story. And I looked at that and thought, I have the best life in the world. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a lucky man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us.